And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt. He's senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern, New York. Kevin, it's great to have you with us today. Good to be with you, Dan. Thanks for having me. Now, I always appreciate having you on, and as our listeners may know, you're one of the advisors to Redeemer. You're also a personal friend and confidant, and someone I can personally trust, and I really appreciate that. Uh, Kevin, we are now in Advent, and uh, how appropriate it would be if we could talk a little bit about this today on this program. Um, Advent began uh, last Sunday, as I believe, and um, maybe uh, one of the questions is, um, why do we celebrate things like this in, in the church year? Yes, it's a good question. Yes, it's a wonderful time of year. Advent means coming, and of course, um, we are reflecting on and celebrating the coming of God and human flesh in Jesus Christ. But I think, and you raise an important issue, which is, why do we do it at this time of the year, or why do we do it in a, in a cyclical manner every year? Or more broadly, it's the question of why the church year? And um, I think the answer to that is, is one that's important for our listeners because the rationale for the church year is probably lost on a lot of modern American Christianity. But it's, very, it's a very helpful thing. If you're in a tradition that observes the church year, I think you can testify to its usefulness and its wisdom. I think we would begin here by saying some concept of ordering the Sundays throughout a 52-week year is inevitable. Uh, therefore, a church is going to celebrate a particular thing one Sunday and a particular thing the next Sunday. They're going to have a season of this and a season of that. So in this sense, all churches have a church year. It's not as if some churches don't have it. They all do. And if we begin to see that, then the question becomes, well, then how is the church going to divide up the time and determine what it's going to focus on and what it's going to celebrate from week to week, month to month, and year to year? Is it going to do it simply based on the pastor's predilection of what he thinks is important at the time and thus be thrown back to some extent? on the individual resources of a man or a group of men or maybe even uh, the, the local community? Or is it going to try and distill the wisdom of the holy church throughout uh, 16, 17, 1800 years? And that's, that's the benefit of the church year. It says, here's a way to organize the year that has gained the consensus and has... Uh, been commended by the wisdom of the church. It's a lot like creeds, and we often say that there is no uh, church that doesn't have a creed. Even even the confession that we don't have any creeds, we just believe the Bible is a form of a creed. Creeds are inescapable. All churches have creeds, whether they're written out or not. And in the same way, uh, a church year is an inescapable concept. And so once we see that, then we want to be tethered to the wisdom of the church. And the beauty of the church year as we celebrate it, we celebrate uh, what we speak of as an evangelical version of the church year. We're not talking here about a church year um, 
that's crammed with celebrations of, of saints and, and the like. We're talking about a, a church here that's governed and guided by uh, reflecting on and celebrating Jesus Christ and the main events in his life and ministry and work. Uh, and in that sense, the church here drives us back to the center because it drives us back to him who is our Lord. Right. It's helpful to see it that way. I, I like your observation that uh, some kind of uh, church year is inevitable, even if it's not so robustly documented. Um, it seems that all churches will start singing some kind of Christmas carols or or during Easter, uh, special focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And so I, I think you're right. It is an inescapable concept. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, without revealing too much, we all have personal experiences, places we've come from in our in our journey with the Lord. And um, do we need to talk at all about um, those who really, I think we already covered it, but maybe not enough yet. What about those who uh, feel very, very uncomfortable with any sort of, of church year or anything like that? Because... Um, maybe the the feeling is that, well, it doesn't really come from the Bible. Yeah. How would you help a person uh, work through that? I guess a, a couple of things. Once you see that every Sunday you're going to gather around certain thematic elements, in other words, the, the pastor is going to preach on a particular topic, the hymns or the worship is going to, going to go a certain way, have a certain feel, hit a certain set of biblical uh, concepts, then you realize, and, and if you're going to do that over six weeks, because let's say uh, the pastor's preaching on First Timothy or something like that, um, essentially you realize that you are constructing an ad hoc church year in your local church. The difficulty with it is it's, it's not tethered to the broader history of redemption or the church is just tethered to what happens to be the perceived set of local needs at the time. And, and, and there's something to be commended in that. It's not, uh, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm just trying to say everyone must see that they have a church year. Now, the traditional church year, because of certain associations, um, I could understand why that might give pause to people. But as I said, we celebrate and, and most uh, Protestant churches celebrate what's called an evangelical church year. Again, we're not celebrating just uh, feasts to saints and all sorts of other sorts of extra-biblical things. The events that we talk about in the church year are the incarnation of the Lord, uh, his, his death, his resurrection, his baptism, Pentecost, his uh, ascension. These are the events which ground uh, the celebration of the church year. and. And very important here, Dan, is this. Um, in the tradition that you or I or you and I are in the Reformed tradition, um, we understand that these are not holy days. These are not sacred days of obligation. There is no sin in not observing Advent. These are what the church calls uh, days uh, that we think it would be prudent and wise and good to observe, healthy for the church, but these are not sacred days that are special from any other Sabbath or Lord's Day. They're just 
a tool for organizing our Sabbaths and our Lord's Days in such a way that across the period of a year, we can hit and focus on Jesus Christ in the fullness of his person and his work. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, we have maybe, uh, oh, less than 20 minutes left to our discussion today, Kevin. Um, Advent, uh, the Advent season, uh, we mentioned that it started last Sunday and extends all the way through this month, I guess. Help us understand a little bit about what is meant, what the church means by Advent, what's so significant about all of this, and and um, why do we get so excited this time of year? It, it certainly is more than just uh, the giving of presents back and forth. Yes, Advent means coming, as I said, and it speaks of the fact that the eternal God, uh, in particular the second person of the Trinity, uh, the word that was in the beginning with God and the word which was God, became at a certain point and time in our existence, flesh became a man. It's an utterly staggering and glorious mystery, and it's at the very heart of the Christian faith. And so Advent celebrates that coming. And in doing so, it drives the church back to the central mystery, which is God in human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's the the first thing to say about it, but and the central thing. But in celebrating that coming, Advent has a number of other advantages. One is it drives us back into Israel's history. Throughout the Advent season, we look at the texts of the prophets and the longing of Israel and the yearning of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. And we can see that from where we stand that he has now appeared in Jesus. And so these uh, great uh, biblical and historical promises throughout the history of God's dealing with his people, the history of redemption, have now culminated in Christ. And we get to be, if you will, um, reoriented, reacquainted with the Jewish uh, roots of our faith, with the fact that we are now the inheritance that God has made for himself. We are joint heirs with Israel. We are members of the commonwealth of Israel. We are grafted in to the olive tree. And so Advent is a great time to see the deep Old Testament Jewish roots of the Christian faith. It has that benefit. Um, now, the other thing that makes us glad is that this Christ, of course, has come for our redemption. He has come into the darkness. He has come into a world of hopelessness and despair and sin, a world upon which a curse rests on the ground. That world has now been redeemed. But with this, then, we see that this has happened in such a way that this redemption, this salvation, has not been fully consummated. And so there's a tension in Advent. We recognize that Christ has come. But in many ways, we, we feel that we still die. The world still has injustice. The darkness still can seem quite strong. And we realize that he has yet to come in glory and in complete consummation of the promises. So we are stuck in this tension 
that theologians call the already and the not yet. We celebrate the coming, the fulfillment of the promises to Israel, but we do so at the same time as a people who anticipate the second coming of the Lord. That's what we, as opposed to Israel, that's what we are waiting for. We are no longer waiting for the advent of the Messiah, but we are waiting for his second advent, for the consummation of all things. And so throughout Advent, in addition to texts from Israel's history, texts are traditionally read uh, that speak of the second coming of the Lord. This often puzzles people. Why are we talking about the, the end of the age and the coming of the Lord in judgment during Advent? Precisely because Advent can be seen as one organic, um, transforming event of the grace and love of God with, ha- with two poles. The first Advent, which has come in Jesus Christ, and the second Advent, which he will consummate at the end of the age. So Advent then orients us not just to the past, not just to the incarnate God-man, but to the future. This is its great benefit. It reminds us that we are, like Israel, waiting for an Advent, for an appearance, for a longing, and we're groaning for that appearance. We are yearning and looking and hastening the coming day of the Lord, the the day of the resurrection, the day of the vindication of the martyrs, the day of justice and equity and righteousness in the earth. And so Advent does all of these things. And because that's the the context of what Advent does, it's a season both of celebration and yearning and repentance. It's a season of casting off our darkness and putting on the armor of light so that we'll be ready for the great day of the Lord. All of these themes converge in the historic church's celebration of Advent. And we see this, by the way, not only in the reading stand, but in the great hymnody, you know, the hymnody of Israel's anticipation, O come, O come, Emmanuel, or come thou long expected Jesus. And then the hymnody of celebration of, of redemption accomplished in the God man, hark the herald angels sing, but also hymnody which sees that this advent is going to issue in a second advent where the very curse on the ground is going to be removed, as it is said, in joy to the world. Uh, Kevin, as we think about Advent, uh, certainly there's services in in many churches, and uh, not knowing all those churches, uh, at least we can talk about Westminster and what happens at Westminster Presbyterian Church. Um, It's certainly evangelical, and uh, people are are challenged to, uh, to know Christ personally, but uh, what are some of the things that happen uh, during Advent at Westminster? That's a good question, Dan. Westminster has a long tradition of using the church year in a reverent way, in sort of a classical way. Um, Advent, as you mentioned earlier, uh, started last Sunday, November 30th, and it's four Sundays, the 30th, the 7th of December, the 14th, and the 21st. We have a, a wonderful Advent wreath that we light at the beginning of each week, one candle at a time, and it has a center candle in the middle symbolizing Christ. And so the wreath in itself, we do this before the worship starts. The wreath in itself is a, is a lovely sort of a, a Christmas tradition that we have that speaks of our need to come walk in the light of the Lord as we anticipate his coming. Um, and then, of course, during this time of year, we sing the Christmas hymns. We have wonderful uh, musicians and singers and uh, talented people at Westminster. Um, we, we have great 
musical accompaniment at this time of year. Of course, the preaching is thematically tied to the Advent themes. Last Sunday, we looked at the prophecy from Isaiah 2, which speaks of the mountain of the house of the Lord in the latter days or in the last days being lifted up and all the nations streaming to it and being instructed by the word of the Lord and nations beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, not learning war anymore. It's a wonderful picture of the kingdom of of global peace that the Messiah inaugurates in his first coming and will consummate in his second coming. And that's one of the advantages, I think, again, of Advent is um, Christmas is not just about you can uh, receive God's gift of salvation for yourself or God loves you. All wonderful and true things. But Christmas is about the fact that God himself is going to come and reconcile the cosmos. He is going to establish peace. He's going to put an end to war. He's going to burn the implements of war. The na- nations are going to restore the created order. Somehow, in some way, by Christ, through his church, and in his second consummate coming, the whole creation is going to be renewed. That's why we celebrate Advent. And that's the sort of the wide panorama view. But then we, we do narrow down onto other Advent themes, right? We're going to be looking at the ways that we can be prepared for the King and his coming in our hearts, in our mind. And this is another great reason for the, for the, uh, the benefits of the piety that flows from Advent. Again, as I said earlier, if we are going to stand before that king in his advent and his coming, then we have to purify ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. We have to repent of our sins. We have to cast away the darkness for the Lord is at hand and will appear. We must prepare. Advent is a time of celebration. But because of the tension we said earlier, it's a time of preparation and a time of reflection. We also use uh, Advent not every year, but this year I will have a sermon on Mary and her role and the, and the glorious role she plays as the mother of our Lord. And, uh, of course, as many people in the Hudson Valley probably already know, Westminster has a very popular and wonderful, rich Christmas Eve service with uh, lessons and carols and homily and just some fantastic uh, music on the 24th. Uh, that'll be at 7 30 p.m. It's a traditional candlelight Christmas Eve service. We do that in Advent as well. So it's a wonderful, wonderful time of year. And it, it, if you will, it calibrates the church uh, for the rest of the church year because some of your listeners may know this and some may not, but Advent is the beginning of the church year. It's where it starts. So in, in that sense, last Sunday was New Year's Day for our church. We start with the fact that God has appeared in Jesus Christ. We start with his incarnation and we move out into the year. And so Advent calibrates us and orients us toward the world in the right way. Where are we living? We are living in the time between the times, the time between God's appearance in Christ and God's consummation of all things in Christ. We are living in the time of the fulfillment of the promises to the prophets, but not their complete fulfillment. And that's where we are, and that's where we live, and thus the joy and the hope and the tensions and the struggles of discipleship in the Christian life. But yes, we have a wonderful, full, rich Advent season at Westminster. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I 
personally enjoy it very much. Um, I'm not sure we can get to the Christmas Eve service uh, this year, but in the past when we have attended, it's just a, just a wonderful service. It's a candlelight Christmas Eve service, and you said it's at 7.30, so perhaps one of our listeners will realize that they have that time free, or maybe they're all alone on Christmas Eve and want, would like to be with God's people, a, a caring group of Christians um, celebrating Christmas Eve, and I'm sure that they would be welcomed with, with open arms. Um, we have uh, just a couple of minutes left. Um, I'm sure we'll, in the future, be able to talk more about Mary. Um, is there... Um, uh, we're Protestant. Uh, we're not Catholic. Yet we have many Roman Catholic friends, and uh, I don't consider it my role to uh, bash them in the eye over differences. Uh, that's just not what I'm called to do. But I, I do know that there are some differences in terms of how we think about and treat and respond to uh, Mary and that sort of thing. Um, I see her as just simply a, a soul who's in heaven, in the in the presence of the Lord. But um, are, is there something in closing, Kevin, in, in closing here, that Protestants need to learn about Mary, this person? Because the Bible does talk about her and says some things that are almost startling to our Protestant ears. Can you help us sift through that in the next several minutes here? What I would say here is, it's an overgeneralization, but it's, it's probably largely true that Protestants have, because in their uh, perception, Catholics have overestimated, if you will, or even engaged in idolatrous uh, uh, worship of Mary and the like. Protestants have tended to go to the other extreme and throw the baby out with the bathwater such that Mary hardly is ever mentioned and uh, tends to be esteemed or revered less than uh, some great Protestant church leaders are. And I think that that's the tragedy because she is the mother of our Lord. And scripture itself says that God uh, has blessed her and that Henceforth, as she says in the Magnificat there in, in Luke's gospel, all generations will call me blessed. And so we, we, we bless uh, God for her. We celebrate her just like we would, um, you know, if we can celebrate the prophets and the apostles and the reformers, then why are we not celebrating the sanctity and the unique redemptive historical role that that Mary had in bearing the mother of our Lord. We may disagree with our Catholic friends about things like the Immaculate Conception or the Assumption of Mary into heaven or the propriety of certain Marian practices and devotions, but we don't disagree about her glorious, unique, and blessed role and place in the church's uh, redemption as the one who bore the eternal Son of God. And so... There's no way that she should be in any way uh, effaced or, or excised out of the Christmas story. She's she's there in the scriptural text and her faithfulness, her fiat, her let it be done unto me, you know, according to your word is to be imitated and uh, acknowledged with great uh, gratitude. Mm, yes, that's exactly helpful. I appreciate that. Kevin, we are out of time already for the uh, interview today. 
Um, just uh, maybe a 30-second wrap-up thought. Well, Advent is a great joy and a great delight. Um, it's a part of the church year which sets the tone for everything we are as Christians. We are the fulfillment of the promises to Israel, living in the already not yet tension, looking back with gladness, looking forward with hope, needing to repent as pilgrims on the way. And all of those things convert in Advent and thus the wondrous wisdom of following the church year at this point. Yeah, that's beautiful. Today, my guest has been Dr. Kevin Sherritt, Senior Pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. We've been talking about this wonderful season of Advent. Quick reminder, please join us next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. 